Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gamia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I trust that wherever you're listening in from, you'll be encouraged as you continue to follow Jesus. Just before we get to the message this week, let me remind you again that you can join in the conversation raised by this podcast during the week by subscribing to The Big Three. It's a midweek podcast where Matt, Jess, and I sit down and unpack three big questions that were raised by the sermon. You can also download a discipleship menu for this sermon. The menus are a selection of activities that you can engage in on your own, with a friend, or even in a small group to put this message into practice in your life. You can find The Big Three wherever you listen to podcasts, and our discipleship menus are on our website, gamiabaptist.org.au, under the Next Steps and Growing tab. This week, we explore the last of the five relational contexts that God uses to help us grow as followers of Jesus, the public context. Uh, The reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thanks, Rox. Good morning. Uh, It's great to have you online with us today. Um, I uh, generally kind of sit down to one side with my laptop open, so I'm ready for the Zoom rooms afterwards and just kind of uh, watch the the chat back and forth. So I've seen some of the examples of God's faithfulness, which has been really encouraging and just good to see you having logged on, saying hello. Imagine you you in your homes or wherever you might be. Uh, So it's good to have you with us this morning. Um, I don't know um, about you, but I wonder what it would have been like to have been a part of the early church as Luke describes it in chapter two. Uh, It's a little thin on the ground in terms of details, right? It's only basically a kind of a long paragraph, but uh, it's enough to fire up our imagination. I mean, just imagine being part of a community of faith where there was daily evidence of the work of God in people's lives. And not just kind of the kind of a quiet work, but a really loud and obvious work. Those who were blind receiving their sight, those who were lame being able to walk, those who had been under the power of the demonic being set free. Uh, the uh, opportunity to see daily people coming to faith, the kind of the, the evidence of God's work right there. Uh, it would have been pretty remarkable uh, as you gather together in the temple with the, uh, the, the imminence and the immediacy and the excitement of something so new. I mean, what we're looking at here in Acts chapter 2 is a mere 40 days, 50 days after the events of Passover. Uh, We're less than two months removed from the time of Jesus's arrival in Jerusalem, his trial, his execution, and his resurrection. There would have been eyewitnesses to those events amongst the 3,000 plus who gathered together. Imagine being in that kind of the midst of the excitement of flooding to the temple every morning, standing in the courtyards, listening to Peter or Andrew or John or Thomas or Nathaniel.
Nathaniel teaching the things of Jesus, teaching the things that they had only just begun to grasp themselves, opening the word and explaining how Jesus was the fulfillment of all that they had hoped for. Imagine then going back to the homes of people scattered throughout Jerusalem and even in the surrounding areas. We know, for instance, that Jesus himself used to travel from Bethany into the city and then back out. Imagine going back to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and discussing what they had heard that day, talking about what had happened, having a meal together, praying together, and then preparing to do it all over again. It would have been remarkable. And while this is a description of a very specific and unique time in the history of the church, a time that has probably not often been duplicated because of just how fresh and new and immediate things were, I think that this passage does give us a little bit of an analogy to the fifth context that we want to look at in relationship to our discipleship how we learn and grow as followers of Jesus together. And that is the public context. For those who've been following along, you know that over this entire term, we've been focusing on the five different relational contexts that God uses to help us grow and develop and mature as followers of Jesus. Now, those are taken from a book called Discipleship That Fits by Bobby Harrington and Alex Absalom. Uh, and those five contexts, as Matt and Rox kind of went through at the start of the, of the service, I believe, uh, there's the divine context, God and you, time spent alone with God, which does certain things for our discipleship that are different than you and a few, where you are in a deliberate, intentional discipling relationship that the authors call the transparent context, which is slightly different again from being in the personal context, what we identify here as a life group, which is different again from the social context or you and a team, a kind of a larger group of people that you're a part of where you practice and, and be, get involved in the mission. And then finally today, the public context, when more than 100 people gathered together. And, and in each of these contexts, something slightly different happens. The sorts of things that we learn and the way in which we grow as followers of Jesus in a life group is different than how we learn and grow when we spend time alone with God, which is different again from what happens when we gather together, kind of like we're gathering together now. Yes, we're not in the same physical location, but there are probably over 300 of us plus kids in various locations all uniting together right now, right here in this digital space to, uh, to, to have something happen in our discipleship. The authors of the book, Discipleship That Fits, suggest that there are three things that happen when we spend time in the public context. And that is that there's a sense of inspiration, a sense of what they call momentum, and preaching. That those are the three things that take place. And all of them combine so that when we gather together and we depart, when we, are, when we gather together and then are sent back out, we are equipped and encouraged to live our lives out as followers of Jesus. And this context is the only context that we're only going to spend one week on, in part because it's the context that perhaps we are most familiar with. I won't ask for a show of hands because the effect is going to be somewhat lost on all of us, but I believe all, all of us, if not or many of us, would be able to point to a particular point in time where we have gathered in a large group and been inspired, where we have heard teaching that has really cut us to the heart, and where we have also found our story connecting with God's. Uh, 
Those are the three components that the authors talk about in the public context. That there's inspiration where we're emboldened and our resolve is strengthened to live out our life as followers of Jesus. Where we experience what they call momentum, which is essentially where we recognize how our story, our family, our workplace, our lives have been caught up into the big story of God. Where we find ourselves as part of the overall work of God and where we are inspired by and learn from and learn to apply the word of God in our lives. These are the things that happen. I, I can point to a handful of particular like conferences or retreats or camps when there have been more than 100 people in the room and there's just been an extraordinary expression of worship where I've heard the word unpacked in a particular way that the Holy Spirit has applied it to my heart as to as, like a bit of a hot poker, just really applying something to my life where I've left those times feeling inspired, where I feel encouraged, where I'm ready to face the day, I'm ready to face the next next week. And I hear that frequently from people after they attend a church service. When they gather together on a Sunday, they often leave kind of topped up for the week. Uh, they've had some teaching. They've caught up with some people. They've heard the stories of where God's at work. They're, they're ready to get after the week. And I, I think that that's a fairly common experience for us. And we see some of those elements, of course, in this description that Luke gives us in chapter 2 where the people are gathered around the teaching and the preaching of the apostles as they reflect on the ministry and mission of Jesus. You can imagine the sorts of things that they taught. I mean, they would have taught how Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promises in the Old Testament. They would have taught what it looked like to follow Jesus in what we sometimes talk about as the upside-down kingdom. They would have had to explain again and again how it was that the Messiah had to suffer and die to do the work of God. They would have talked again and again about the mission that God had given to them. The words of Jesus as he ascended into heaven, where he said, go and make disciples. They would have reflected again and again on Jesus' words to them in that upper room, where he said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. There would have been a real sense of expectation and anticipation, and they would have left those uh, meetings, they would have left those teaching periods of time, they would have left the courtyards and gone back to those homes inspired and ready to get at it. I mean, how do you think um, there were people added daily to their number? Uh, it might have just been the spontaneous work of God, but it seems far more likely to me that as people were swept up in what was taking place, they took the good news to the people that they were interacting with. When people asked them what they had done that day or where they were going that day, they would have taken them along to hear the good news of Jesus and the work of God continued afoot. This, this is the kind of the, the power of the public context. And it does something really quite significant in our discipleship. That's different from the other contexts, which is really worth noting. And I want to kind of draw your attention, though, to a particular characteristic of the public context, the you and the crowd, uh, and something that I think has real significant implications for us. And then I want to draw us to kind of draw together this whole series with a couple of, I hope, really helpful um, insights, some implications of these five contexts. So first, let me just point out one of the central characteristics of the public context. And that is that the public context is what sociologists will call a centered set or an open set. That's different from a bounded set. Let me give you the example within the context. 
Um, our life groups tend to be a little bit more bounded. There are boundaries of membership. In other words, if you are hosting a life group, you have a pretty good idea on Wednesday night how many people are going to show up and who those people might be. And while that group may grow or shrink, depending on kind of people's movements and availability, you kind of have a pretty good idea of the people who will arrive. A life group is not the sort of situation where anyone can just rock up. It's not as if you open your home on a Wednesday night and just who knows how many people will show up. That might be 10, it might be 400, we just don't know. There's kind of a boundary on it. There's a membership delineation. If you think about an intentional discipling relationship, if you and one or two other people are meeting together for a cup of coffee to have some really significant conversations about your discipleship and someone that you know passes by and sees you and joins you for a cuppa, it's unlikely that they will be part of the same conversation. There's kind of a boundary on that relationship and what happens within it. In, when we gather together in the public context, there's a central truth, something that unifies us together the teaching of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, learning about our place within that and, and how God is calling us and challenging us and inviting us to participate. But the boundary doesn't really exist. It's really fuzzy. We see that reflected in Acts 2, don't we? I mean, they're the apostles who are kind of, shall we say, at the center. They're the ones who are um, teaching the things of Jesus. They're the ones who are, I guess, driving whatever is taking place in this small community of faith. But people would have been coming and going all the time. Some people would have been in Jerusalem since the Passover and they would have stayed till Pentecost in order to kind of get the biggest bang for their buck because they were pilgrims who had come from a long way. Others might have been able to stay for a short period of time before going home. Some might have been living in Jerusalem. There might have been priests and uh, Sadducees and Pharisees and other members of the ruling class who were educated and could read. There may have been synagogue rulers and everyone else who may have been a part of it. Some people may have come out of just interest to find out what was taking place just because there was something new and fascinating but had no real spiritual interest at all in what was happening. Others may have heard what the disciples said and think, ah, that's a little bit of a stretch and left. The boundaries would have been incredibly fuzzy. And the entire point is moving closer to that central unifying truth, the teaching and the mission of Jesus. That's what unifies us in the public context. It's not a matter of knowing everyone. It's not a matter of being a member per se. It's actually about moving closer to that central unifying truth, the teaching, the mission of Jesus. And that means that when we gather together, we need to find ways to be open to uh, inviting everyone to join us. It's the extension of what you've heard me say uh, many times, our conviction that anyone can begin to follow Jesus. You don't need to know anything about Jesus to begin following him. You don't need to change your life and you don't need to believe to begin to follow Jesus. Now, as you grow in your knowledge, you begin to see that there are some things that will probably have to change and you'll eventually come to the question of who Jesus really is. But to begin the process, you can just start. That is a fuzzy boundary for us. One that means that we have to be open to anyone beginning to follow Jesus and being part of what we're on about which I think is incredibly exciting in terms of our discipleship. So this is the public context, the last of them, the one that we are perhaps most familiar with. It's the one that we most often associate with church. You may have said it today to your kids. Hey kids, it's almost time for church. 
and then you logged on. Or perhaps you thought this morning, as I rolled out of bed, I'll get my cup of coffee and then I'll go to church. And we're glad you logged on. We're glad that you're part of what we're doing this morning. But this is where we often confuse and sometimes equate church and the gathered people of God. I mean, I think we need to kind of unpick that a little bit. And so I just want to finish this series, shall we say, with two really important reflections. The first of them is that for us to have a, shall we say, a balanced discipleship, a discipleship that uh, it brings us to full health and full maturity, we kind of need to make sure that we have all five of these contexts at work in our lives. Uh, if you've listened to the Big Three podcast over the last uh, couple of months as we've been working our way through this ser- series, you'll know that we've occasionally referred to a Venn diagram, that these five contexts are kind of like five overlapping circles. And we don't want them to be all separated from each other, nor do we want them all to be so unified that there's only one circle. But we do want some overlap between them. That we should always, in, in whatever situation we find ourselves in, be finding ways to spend some time with God alone. That we ought to have those intentional discipling relationships. That we ought to be in a life group. That there ought to be a, a space where we are practicing being part of the mission of God. Where we gather together with the church together. And that these need to be part of our discipleship. Or our discipleship will not be particularly healthy. If all we ever do is show up to an online gathering, but there's no other component of discipleship in our life, it's very easy for our discipleship to be quite faded. We're inspired, but we kind of require that kick on every week, and there's nothing that kind of drives us through the week. If we only ever spend time with God, as good as that is, we don't feel and find our place in the mission of God. So we require all five of these contexts. We, we need to be people who are seeking after a full and healthy and balanced discipleship. And that will change according to our particular needs, what Jesus is inviting us into, our life stage. All of that will play a part in what that looks like. You know, there are times, in particular when you have young kids running around the place, that having time alone with God just becomes really difficult. It's hard to find time for yourself, to have a shower, to put the laundry on, let alone spending time alone with God. There'll be times when that just needs to look a little bit different than it might in other periods of our lives. But we want to find ways to make it all work. When we have young kids, that life group or that intentional discipling relationship might become much more significant for our healthy discipleship, given the context we find ourselves in. But all five of these relational contexts are useful for us. And I think that leads to, I guess, my final reflection uh, that I think is really important for us as a community of faith, and particularly at this point in time. And that is that if the church, if the gathered community of faith, if the people of God, if we are to be identified as those who are making disciples, Not as a building, not as an organization, not as a denomination, not on the basis of creed, not on the basis of structure, but if we are to be identified as followers of Jesus as a community of faith because we are making disciples, then that means that our ecclesiology is perhaps bigger than we thought. And some of you are thinking to yourself, I didn't know I had an ecclesiology, let alone know the size of it. Ecclesiology is our belief about the church. 
It comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means the congregation. It's the community of faith. And, and our ecclesiology is impacted when we think about these five contexts. Let me put it really simply. If these five contexts all shape our discipleship, and if they are all a necessary part of our coming to maturity as followers of Jesus, and if maturity as followers of Jesus is the primary work of the church, then we never stop being the church. We never stop being the church. We can't say that the only time that we're part of the church is when we show up on a Sunday morning, online or otherwise. That, that, that's a, a shallow, um, weak ecclesiology. It suggests that the only time that I'm actually on the task of discipleship is when I'm somehow gathered with a large group of people. But the reality is that we never stop being the church. We never stop being the church. When we gather together online or face-to-face -face, uh, on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening, we are an expression of the church. But when we gather in our ministry teams, when we uh, gather together and focus on doing what God has invited us into, when we practice using our spiritual gifts, we are an expression of the church. When we gather in our life groups and care for one another and catch up with one another, but spend time in the word and in prayer, we are an expression of the church. When you sit down with that one, two, or three other people that uh, kind of hold you accountable, with whom you seek intimacy and closeness for spiritual impact, you are an expression of the church. And when you open the Bible by yourself on a Tuesday morning, and you read a handful of verses, and you reflect on them, and you spend time in prayer, that too is an expression of the church. We never stop being the church. Sometimes we're gathered, sometimes we're scattered, but we are always the church. An expression of those who have become captured and captivated by the person and mission of Jesus. That's what it means to be the church. And this is incredibly important for us to grasp. I mean, not only do, do, do I hope that this series will kind of drive some of our language and some of our, I guess, some of our attempts to help strengthen these other um, uh, contexts of, of discipleship, but I also hope that it helps us understand and navigate the period of time that we are in right now. See, because one of the things that I think has challenged us greatly over the last couple of years in relationship to, say, COVID and restrictions and lockdown is really a challenge to our ecclesiology. What does it mean to be the church in lockdown? Does this count? Does, does this count? Does it count for you to be sitting on your lounge with a cup of coffee? Does this count as church? And I would hope that our ecclesiology is strong enough and deep enough and profound enough to say, yes, it does. And this is really important. Just this morning, uh, I, uh, I tend to look at the City Morning Herald in the morning, and uh, lo and behold, there was an article that was a, a gift for a sermon this morning. And it was essentially, it's been upgraded now, it's now the very first article, and it's, uh, it's, it's been a little, bit, um, it's a little bit more antagonistically framed up than it was when I saw it at 7 o'clock. But it was essentially outlining some religious leaders' resistance and opposition to the proposal from the government that when we reach 70% vaccination rates, that churches will also require people to attend, who attend on, per, in person to be double vaccinated. 
And, and, and the responses of these uh, pastors and church leaders, I, I kind of agreed with. And we do want to be open. We do want to be welcoming. Uh, we do want to make sure that people can find their way into our communities of faith. But I also found myself fundamentally disagreeing with their opposition on the basis of my ecclesiology. <laughs> on the basis of my ecclesiology, I disagreed with them. Because it seemed to me that what they were doing, meaningfully or not, was that they were equating welcoming a physical person into a physical building of one context of our discipleship with welcoming people into the community of faith. And I disagree. To, 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 to think that the only thing that counts, to think that the only thing that matters is a physical person being in a physical building, if that's the only thing that counts, we have missed it from the perspective of ecclesiology. We have people who are part of our online community who have never stepped foot in this building, and you count. You are part of our community of faith. There are people who haven't been in this building for years because of their physical health. They count. You count. There are people who are only parts of life groups and are here sporadically for all sorts of reasons. You count. We never stop being the church. Let me put it really boldly, really kind of starkly. We will never turn someone away from our community of faith on the basis of their vaccination. However, there may be a period of time when due to their vaccination and this, the situation of public health where they are not able to join us on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening when we gather. And those things are not opposites. We can welcome people into our community of faith when they're not in the physical building. They can be part of a life group. We can minister to you. We can serve you. We can pray for you. We can catch up with you. We can get you involved in ministry. We can do all sorts of things because we never stop being the church. It is so much bigger than Sundays. It's so much bigger than being physically in the building. And this is the critical piece for us to grasp. When we, when we begin to follow Jesus, we join together with believers all over the world, but specifically those in a local expression, to find a way for us to grow and mature as followers of Jesus. One of the ways that happens is when we gather together physically in a building, or when we gather online together all at the same time, or when we are in a ministry group or a life group, or with just two or three, or when we gather by ourselves. We never stop being the church. It is so important for us to grasp this, to recognize and understand what it means for us to be the church and what it means for us to grow as followers of Jesus. I think this is a really critical series for us, one that I hope that we'll continue to kind of um, delve into in the weeks and months to come. We never stop being the church, whether we're spending time alone with God or worshiping together in a crowd. I hope that this series has encouraged you to see your discipleship in a wider context. In fact, to see it from the perspective of five contexts. God in you, you in a few, you in a crew, you in the team, and you in the crowd. 
Due to the current public health orders in New South Wales, our facilities do remain closed to the public. But we'd love for you to join us for worship this week online. Our services are at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, and you can join in by logging on to www.gbconline.org.au. Keep an eye on our social media platforms for any changes to this. Until next time, God bless.